0: Hey, we're in. I I was sorry. I was making sure we were in. I'm hacking into the Matrix. Woo, woo, hacking into the Matrix. Pshew. Uh, it's raining out, so I'm not out in my uh, splendid garden. I'm in here, and uh, not for too long. Uh, I'm not going to be able to broadcast, or I'm sorry, broadcast <coughs> Force of Habit for too long today. I've got uh, I've got time constraints for uh, other media non-media related reasons, but I didn't do anything this weekend and I don't want to go three in a row days in a row generally without doing one, so I was just gonna put a little a little nugget in here, a little queeby for you guys. A quick bit, which is apparently what the way people love to consume media according to noted super genius. Uh, was it Jeffrey Katzenberg, the the fucking brain brain man behind that shit? God, those guys have so much money and they definitely deserve every scent of it oh so uh, <clears throat> so I just wanted to say I might not don't talk about it might what else I might say but So, okay, I want to start with this. So, I said last week that I really didn't like the new show on Showtime, Good Lord Bird, with Ethan Hawke as John Brown. And I got a lot of pushback. People said they really liked it. A lot of people have said it's great. And I decided, well, maybe I just got off on the wrong foot with it. I watched. I, the very beginning of it, when some when the character says some people black folks hate him and think he's a white savior, it hit my ear wrong, and maybe I gave the whole thing an unfair greeting because I was primed to not like it because of that moment early on. Uh, but so I, I started watching the second episode with good faith, and it doesn't really change any of my opinions about it. I got to say, and in fact, I one specific moment happened that I think crystallized some of the specific problems I have with it. Uh, and it was uh, so. At what? At in the second episode, the main character, who is this uh, young boy, former slave boy, who is part of Brown's band, but then separates off and is in un, in cross dressing as a woman, uh, ends up in Missouri, across the border from Kansas, uh, as in, among slaves uh, and enslaved, I think, at a brothel, and a character refers to the ruffians the border ruffians who would go across the border to rustle cattle and intimidate and attack free staters and vote most importantly vote in elections uh for things like you know the 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 various uh slave state constitutions from the one of the two competing governments that was always being established in the kansas area and she refers to them as rebels And it just clanged off my ear, and I thought, who who are these people rebelling against? This is 1860, uh, I'm sorry, this is 18, I believe this is 1856 when this thing is set. Uh, The South has not seceded. Abraham Lincoln has not even, I believe, been elected, not, uh, Abraham Lincoln has not even been elected yet. Uh, the, The Democratic Party hasn't even shattered on the issue of slavery at its convention yet. Who are they rebelling against? In the in during Bleeding Kansas, the federal government under the doe-face wretches Franklin Pierce and James Buchanan, who were northern men whose entire political fortunes depended on absolute uh, obsequious obeisance to all slave power dividers. That was how they maintained power: the urban machines in the north, plus the slave power in the south. They couldn't, they because they, they were the most demanding constituency on the issue of. Uh, um, on the issue of expansion and the, the fate of slavery in a new territory because slavery slavers self-consciously understood that the future uh, viability of slavery as a system depended on continued expansion. That was what drove the conflict that led to the Civil War. It wasn't slavery as such. It was slavery in the newly acquired territory. And so the governments that oversaw Bleeding Kansas by the Democrats Pierce and Buchanan Whose northernness connected them to the free so state electorate, a part of the coalition, but whose policies were always enough to uh, guarantee the support of the South. So that incentive structure meant that the federal government consistently recognized the the pro slavery legislatures in Kansas. And declared the free state constitutions illegal, which meant that the laws passed by the uh, pro-slavery legislatures had the force of law. Insofar as you know, if uh, if the pro-slavery forces enforced them with violence, the state, in the form of the local uh, uh, and very small uh, federal troop deployment uh, that was there uh, at Forts Leavenworth and uh, uh, one other place, I can't remember right now, but Dodge, I think um would would intervene on the side of the pro slavery factions if anyone was a rebel in Kansas it was the free state uh faction they were in the disfavor of the federal government which was the arbiter of power there and the because missouri was right there filled with drunk uh dirt farming southern whites who hoped to scratch a few dollars out of the soil uh after coming a cropper uh in in the settled territories those the settled states would just pour over and overcome everybody with numbers and violence if numbers wouldn't do. And I think the reason, and this is not just nitpicking because to me that rep, that for one thing reflects a misapprehension of the strategic situation that John Brown found himself in when he did things like perform, carry out the uh, Pottawatomie massacre which is considered the blackest stain on his reputation. And the thing that makes even people who support him, like as, uh, as figure him to be a, a, a progressive or virtuous character in history, have to acknowledge was a uh, overexertion of, of, of a mania caused by some sort of an imbalance. And his pursuit of the Harper's Ferry raid in the face of any plausible route to success rendered him in the minds of even people who would support him inherently mad. And because I think more than even his erratic behavior or violent behavior, it is his very uh, clarity of faith, not in God as an abstraction, but as in God as a lived reality, that is what rendered him insane to people, is what renders him more than anything insane to people. And that the insanity they depict in this movie show is an insanity that is just an inability to recognize a more spiritually bound and therefore deeper human spirit to use get abstract and goofy about it. Just it, it it seeks to chop it down to a recognizable framework. Oh, religious mania plus like well-intentionedness equals uh kook or something like that. And this small thing about rebels is indicative of that. John Brown carried out things like the Potawatomi Massacre in a framework where it looked very much to every observer, especially right after the sack of Lawrence, which was when the Potawatomi Massacre was carried out, that the pro-slavery faction in Kansas was going to win, was going to take over the entire territory, have it admitted as a slave state. Look what was happening in Washington. The, the, president, the, the presidency was in the clutches of a Democratic Party that was fully invested By the power of the slavocracy, which meant that that combination would guarantee that future states would come in as slaves. And the only long term hope for ending slavery in any realistic fashion, short of the spontaneous war, was cutting it off, creating a cordon sanitaire of free uh, territory around the South to eventually weaken and destroy the beast by starvation of land and expansion. And that's what the South understood, which is why they were fighting so hard in Kansas and why. When the issue of Kansas galvanized the North so much that they elected Lincoln over the issue of the Lecompton Constitution, that's what the Lecompton Constitution is what broke the Democratic Party into three parts, what ensured Lincoln would win and what guaranteed uh, the Republicans a stranglehold on the vote in the northern states, such that uh, Lincoln was the first anti-slavery candidate to carry every northern state which meant he would have won even probably without the Democrats splitting up. Why was that the issue? Why did they vote that way? Why did the South then secede? Because they saw that the writing was on the wall because of what John Brown did in Kansas and then in Harper's Ferry. Which means that assuming that they were mad or or bloodthirsty or, or erratic, Assuming that, not knowing it through textual analysis, which, come on, nobody reads anything. You're just going off reputations. You're just looking through the prism of history through sort of a, a broad humanist lens. What you're doing is you're failing to see the tendrils that bound him to the earth in such a way that he could be sane in a land filled with insanity. That he could see the deeper reality of human, human interdependence that was invisible to everyone else. And that he was, and that what he did, pushing at the boundary at every level of what was acceptable and going beyond what was practical or even moral in the pursuit of the next level of engagement with the issue, the next concrete move towards the actual eradication of slavery, was predicated by him asserting reality in the face of a lie. And so, any. Art that seeks to deal with him, I think, should deal with him from at least understanding that. And this show, to me, it seems to me that they haven't even thought this way. They had, it had, This stuff has not even occurred to them. Honestly, I think what it comes down to more than anything is that the new left-wing social position that you see in things like a Showtime movie with a prestige cast that's going to get written up in all the good uh, online periodicals and was going to form the uh, a part of a balanced cultural diet for a you know late empire uh, uh, overproduced elite in our media in our country's uh, media centers and centers of the creative class is that we have now internalized the same thinking about race that the Dunning School perpetuated through American society at the turn of the last century. That was when the prevailing understanding and culture was that John Brown must have been insane because he thought black people and white people were equal. Only, a, only an insane white man could think that, therefore John Brown was insane. Now, the new uh, cynical Afro-pessimist sort of T, TN, uh, THC Coates uh, uh, received wisdom on race is that John Brown must have been crazy to think that white, whites would ever treat black people as equal that they could ever actually affect equality in society. Because why would John Brown want to see slavery ended unless he thought eventually human equality could be could emerge out of white and black living alongside one another? Why would he have done it if he didn't think that could happen and would happen as a result of it? And that's the part of it that they now think renders him insane. It doesn't mean he was a bad guy. That's the difference. The old Dunning school people said he was mad and bad. The new... Uh, Afro-pessimist liberal uh, cultural uh, hive mind says he's bad uh, because he couldn't recognize um, the wi- inherent wickedness of white people or the inherent intractability of, of, of white supremacy because he can't because the inability of white people to actually empathize with black people at a deep enough level to treat them instinctively as a person that that is an impossible thing even though he felt it he felt it as deeply as any man could feel anything. That makes him crazy. That's what makes him crazy. And this show is about that. It's about how he was too, he was too, he saw the forest great, but he missed the trees. Like the whole first thing, the first thing he does is that he rescues a, a slave from a, from a slaver on Kansas plantation in the process gets her son, her her husband killed, or I mean, sorry, he, uh, his gets his father killed then takes him from the plantation and in the process of taking him overhears what his dying father says about his name to think he's a woman and just assumes he is a woman because he can't see her i mean sorry him i keep forgetting it's really him he can't see him he can't see onion he can't see henry for who he is because he is too mad to recognize to his own white supremacy to recognize his own white frailty and so even though he's going to act on behalf of black people, it will never be truly him acting as uh, it will be on their behalf from a position of inherent superiority that he doesn't even recognize because it's drowned out by the voice of God. And that's, that's, going to be, that's the complicated, modern take on John Brown that, that acknowledges the reality of slavery and white supremacy in America and that is more uh, truthful and doesn't go in for white savior tropes. Meanwhile, you're embedding in people's mind even deeper. Of course, it doesn't matter. You know, it's all noise, but it's just an expression of a culture that in every way re- reproduces the idea that and capitalism is happy to do it, that race is irrecoverable. On the end of, on the, on, for reactionaries, it's, it cannot be reduced because it's real. It constitutes an actual difference of some sort of spiritual or, or genetic uh, a disjunction that, that that cuts off the obligation between humanity it says you are not part of it anymore. The other says that white people believe that too much for it to ever actually uh, be defeated, which then means there can only be conflict. There can only be conflict over resources and victory and defeat. There can be no reconciliation because there can be no equal terms for a social contract. And the question then is who's going to win that fight? And given the numbers in America, if push comes to shove, and that's where everybody gets pushed, either on the right or the left, the answer is going to be their own kind, because it's who's at the end of the day, they're going to trust. So anyway, not a fan so far. We'll see. I'm going to watch all of it. That's okay. I'll keep watching that garbage, as our friend Donald Trump once said. I might be wrong. Like this all might be getting complicated and turned into a rich bully base. Honestly, this is one of the faults of television as a, as a art form. Not kidding about this. I think that one of the things that makes one of the many things that makes television a lesser, in my opinion, art form than things like film or uh, literature. Um, Is that the way it is viewed, and the way it is reviewed, make it impossible to view it the way people want to? Prestige television is supposed to be this narrative that unfolds over time, and yet you are seeing it in these intervening chunks. Honestly, binging is the way to watch it all—the the the gapped out way that we we are used to. That's actually worse, in my opinion, because it means you have to have a take on everything. Before it develops. And then you decide, oh, this thing in this episode is bad. I didn't like it. It makes you li- like the show less. It makes you less likely to watch the next episode. And then what about later if it's redeemed as part sort of a broader whole and you realize it needed to be there, but you already watched it? And you already formed your shows, your opinion about the show based on that. And you're not able to adjust. Or it's harder to adjust anyway than when you're viewing something as a seamless garment. Anyway, I will continue to watch this garbage. And I'm willing to say it might be better. I will say this, though. I do not like Ethan Hawke at all. That is not uh, about the uh, artistic intent or the historical value or any of those higher questions. At a pure technical level, I do not enjoy his performance. I didn't think he was a good pick for it in the first place. And I think he's bad in the role the way he's, he's playing the character, forgetting whether it's insulting to Brown as a character by making him this comical, uh, madman, this Don Quixote figure, um, just the way he performs it is to me uh, uninteresting. It's just this stentorian rattle with no re- with no deeper, uh, no deeper connection to anything. It just it just seems to be blood and thunder, just absolute uh, to the rafters. He seems to be just trying to mouth religious piety through a, a, a kind of an empty uh performance of like a tent revival preacher. It just feels very artificial. It doesn't feel like it's coming from him. Uh, I would really and, and the thing is, what about First Reformed? If he played John Brown like he played Father Toller, we might be getting somewhere. That'd be an interesting play on the character. He's not he's the opposite of reverend toller in this movie and he is as bad in it as uh he was good in that movie so that's another big hurdle for me is that i don't like him in it like the scenes where he's owning slavers and yelling at them and going i am here on a mission of redemption and then camera fucking steve zahn gets blown off with a camel cannon and he owns epically 50 slave owners it doesn't even have any kind of oomph to it because he's just never robbed of this sense of sort of comic opera buffoonery that means that he can't even get any badass moments off i think people are just reading into their want oh they just want to see the slavers get epically owned because it's just another performance of the same puppet show of antifa versus uh, uh uh proud boys uh that we're all psychically investing in instead of engaging in politics and so i see why people want to get off on that but he can't even give it to me if it had been fucking Michael Shannon with his voice cracking like the fucking mountain of doom is is like the vo- the voice of justice itself, willing to also be realistic with John Brown's voice and make it like high and crackly. Um he did not have a deep booming voice, actually. He, he was like he's like Abraham Lincoln in that way. Lincoln is thought to have or was before the uh Daniel Day Lewis role. Defined the character was thought to be very deep and resonant, like Sam Watterson. No, it was high and reedy. And, uh, and Daniel Day Lewis went for that because he had the confidence and he knew he could work with it. Fucking Ethan Hawke, it's like, no, it's not badass enough. And so he ignored the reality to give him this. And I understand, I understand that the real point of the show is to take him as like a figure in American history, like a, a figure of um, our mythology. Like, um, uh, like, uh, Paul Bunyan or Pecos Bill or John Henry, and like that's his role in this. Like that's why there's that's you know it's it's John Brown as a as a cultural folk hero. If that's the case, I don't like the aesthetics of it at all. If that's the case, you can't go with Ethan Hawke there. Give me somebody who actually feels like they would be bigger than life. I'm sorry, Ethan Hawke. Even though he has been good in things in the past and is an underrated actor generally, he is not larger than life. So you've fucked it from the beginning. If that's what it's going for, and I've heard people arguing that that's the lens to view it through. No, no, this isn't John Brown. This is John Brown if he, as Paul Bunyan. This is John Brown as John Henry. This is John Brown as an American folk character brought down through generations of like retelling of you know the, the, the American history. Then he needs to not be J- Ethan fucking Hawk. I'm sorry. I've lost it right there. So there we go. Uh, ooh, John Wait, Tom Waits is an interesting choice. Brad Dorff. Oh, he's too old now, but oh my god, he could have been good if he wasn't fucking British. Ian McShane. But the, Ian McShane is one of those guys who can't do an American accent. That's why they had to put those funny little bits in of extra dialogue uh, around... Uh, uh, they had to lampshade it. In Deadwood, they had to lampshade that Ian McShane was British by having Ellsworth at the bar go, is it true that you're descended from English royalty? Because otherwise, why does he sound like that? It's like how in uh, in Schwarzenegger movies, he would like, be talking to a date and go... Yeah, so I was born in Austria. We moved here uh, after the war, after my father, uh, for some reason, uh, decided he needed to leave Germany. Nick Cage is John Brown. Oh, God. Honestly, with the way this thing is, like, winkingly self-referential and very of the moment and honestly just... It's the same tone as all this stuff. That's my main problem with it. Beyond anything, even ideological, is it's just the tone is this arch, fully socially like the the problem with wokeness as a concept when applied to art is that it implies this world wariness and like full understanding of history that honestly just ends up coming off as cultural as capitalist fucking realism. It's just more. Just a wary snarl and a, and a wink, uh, like, oh no, we've metabolized the whole pageantry and horror of human history without having imbued it with any emotion beyond our pale reproduction of it, our, our, our quotation marks ironic appropriation of it. So I hope those people who still like the show will engage with this critique because I feel like I've articulated some genuine issues and I would like to see some people who like the show. like I'm seeing some like people I'm generally very simpatico with saying they like it. I haven't asked Matt Carp yet, but I've got to find out what he thinks. I'm going to text him, I think, after this. Steve Sharippa. There is a go. That's good. But anyway, it couldn't be Aidan McShane because Al she can be British, I guess. But John Brown is American in every sense. He is the distilled promise of America. And, and all the things that made him genuinely mad, and I would agree that he was mad in the sense that he, his personal perception of God was so imminent in his like moment-by-moment life, he was so imbued with it, that he basically was hearing voices, He was not in our consensual reality, or at least off enough of it, off by enough to constitute uh, being unable to recognize the same reality we do, sure. But only because he was driven, driven that way by the need to assert principles, deeply, deeply actually lived and felt principles of equality in antebellum America as it became more and more overdawed by slavery. Because the other thing that drove drove Brown through history was the accumulation of the power of slavocracy and the, and the expansion of slavery and the rise of slave influence over government. My God, the day after Lawrence, Kansas, was fucking sacked, Charles Sumner was beaten at his desk in the fucking Congress by some hillbilly motherfucker from South Carolina Who was too cowardly to even let him stand up for himself because he was over six feet two, he probably would have starched him. And was and received and received in response bouquets of canes sent to them from the good people, the good gentlemen, the good, well-bred gentlemen of the South. Fuck off. They were murdering free staters in the streets as well. The fucking sack of Lawrence was validated by state approval. The difference in, was that the difference in moral calculus boils down to this: John Brown's violence had a threat of being met with state force, which meant he was risking something by it. The violence of pro-slavery people was engaged with casually because there was no fear that there would be any kind of uh, uh, state intervention against you. You will There will be no consequence for this, so it's free to do. Get 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 drunk on corn liquor drive some fucking free soilers out of town on a rail, tar and feather them, burn down a fucking uh, a hotel, loot a printing press, have your way with a farmer's daughter. It's all in good fun because who's ever going to stop you? John Brown was operating under no legal sanction, which meant he was risking, his violence was a risk to himself. So that means it had to be pursued by a deeper belief than the mere belief in indulgence of the ruffian scumbags. And honestly, like the, the answer to this might be maybe you don't make a movie about John Brown. Maybe you won't make a TV show about Brown Brown. Maybe some things are sacred. Maybe some memories, some, some people, some stories can't be adulterated by the moment, by all the intersecting, baffling, demiurgical, uh delusion of the current moment that we live in. Maybe we don't need to imprint it by creating a new document that people can psychically organize their understanding of an idea around and thereby desacralize it and pull it out of its context and render it cheap and tawdry. Maybe that's the answer to this. Maybe you don't do it at all. And it's not everything in the past, but maybe there are some things that you just don't fuck with. Just why I believe this, I honestly believe this, and people can get mad at me if they want to. I believe that in an ideal society... There would be no death penalty for any crime committed against person or property, but that there would be the death penalty for the wanton killing of certain animals. Because you have to have an enforced and understood social conception of sacredness. And I'm not saying execute people for putting John Brown on television. I'm saying that just maybe have some respect for things. Some things. And you know, it's up to you to figure out what those things are. All right guys, I'm gonna wrap it up here. I think I got my I think I set my piece. If you wanna if you wanna hit me up in the DMs to rap about it, I'm always open for business. Ciao Bella.